0: Well, I want you to turn to your, in your Bible to John chapter 20. It's actually Easter Sunday for Grace Church of the Valley. We, just, we come to that part in John 20 on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, all of John 20 is dedicated to that and really John 21 as well as we close out this wonderful, wonderful gospel written by the Apostle John under the power of of the Holy Spirit. I I think most of you would agree that the biblical evidence for the resurrection really is overwhelming. Overwhelming. It's all throughout the Gospels. Jesus stated it. We see its testimony. We see apostolic doctrine giving credence to the resurrection. But not all agree Not all agree. Years ago, I think it was 1985, there was a seminar put together by 50 so-called scholars regarding the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he actually said, what he didn't say, what can be truthful of what he said. And of course, they're looking at the Scripture, judging the Scripture. I think they came away with that 15% of what he said could be trusted, the other issues Uh, The other statements, they could not be trusted. It was called the Jesus Seminar. One of the men on that committee was a guy by the name of John Dominic Crossan. He is an influential author on religion in America. He said this about the resurrection, quote, I do not think that anyone, anywhere, at any time brings dead people back to life. This is what is taught in many of our universities and high schools today. It's taught by the so-called Jesus Seminar people in book. Another man at that seminar many years ago, it continues in action today, was a man by the name of Thomas Sheehan from the Jesus Sem- Sem- Seminar. He taught this, quote, Jesus, regardless of where his corpse ended up, is dead, And remains dead. End of quote. He's dead. He remains dead. Another man by the name of Gerd Ludman, who was a professor, retired now from Vanderbilt University, said this, quote, The tomb of Jesus was not empty, but full. And his body, he said, did not disappear, but rotted away. I mean, this is what people are hearing at many seminaries across the country. I praise the Lord that we can have the Master Seminary here to train these men in the Scripture. But this is what so-called professors of religion are saying. Another man by the name of Marcus Borg made this statement, quote, I have no idea whether the resurrection involves an empty tomb. I would have no problem with archaeologists finding the corpse of Jesus, which we all know they've never produced the body. Borg said, for me, that would not be a discrediting if they found the corpse, not be a discrediting of the Christian faith or the Christian tradition, end of quote. And I just gasped when I read that. You've got to be kidding that if they found the corpse, it would not be a discrediting of the Christian faith or the Christian tradition. Really? I mean, how opposite from what Scripture tells us. Paul said that the resurrection is so vital that he said in 1 Corinthians 15, if I, he said, for I deliver to you as of first importance... What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, and Paul said that he was raised on the third day in accordance of Scripture. I mean, this is all through the apostolic writing. He died, he was buried, he was raised on the third day. So it gives you a little bit of insight into men say that the tomb's not empty, that the corpse is somewhere but it's rotted away that they must stand over against the word of God. If you're visiting today, the word of God stands over us. It is our authority. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, same chapter verse 13, he said if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, he said then we, he said then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. And he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. 1 Corinthians 15 all all the way through gives us the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What does John say about the resurrection? I hope your Bible's open to John chapter 20. What does he say? After all, he was an eyewitness to the resurrection. And you're either gonna sit here this morning and say it didn't happen and you step over the authority of the word of God or you say John's lying or you're saying that Jesus is lying or that you're saying that Mary Magdalene is lying, or you're saying that 500 people hallucinated and are all lying. I mean, we have been left with a body of truth on the resurrection. Now you know that we've been charting consecutively, of course, in our church through the word of God, book by book. We just left off in John 19. Jesus was arrested, he was tried, He was crucified, he died, if you will, he was buried, and that's where we left off. Remember, on that cross, Jesus said, it is what? Finished. And certainly, when he said, it is finished, it does not mean that, you know this, that nothing remains to be done. It is finished was a truth that his suffering was finished. He accomplished the Father's will, but he must fulfill the other gospel statements that he in fact would rise from the dead. So as you turn your eyes into John 20, it deals with the empty tomb. It deals with the resurrection appearances, both to the disciples and then the sending of the disciples. It's really a fascinating account. John records for us, The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the first proof of his resurrection is the empty tomb. And that's where we will find ourselves in 21 through 10. How important is the empty tomb? Well, it's huge. In fact, in the second century, historian Justin Martyr recorded that after his resurrection, the story circulated in his day, quote, by Martyr, Justin Martyr, his disciples stole him by night from the tomb and now deceive men by asserting that he has risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. He wasn't saying that, but that's what, what was being circulated in, the, in that day, in the second century. Beloved, the truth is, you're gonna find today, you'll discover today, and it makes immense importance to your own Life, that beloved, the tomb is empty. It's empty. Now, in and of itself, his empty tomb is not physical proof of the resurrection. Come back next week. We'll go into the eyewitness account of his appearance. But before us, even this morning, are eyewitness accounts that the tomb indeed was empty. That the body was not stolen, that he arose from the dead. And beloved, as I've said, no one has ever produced the body. So what John does in these opening 10 verses is provide us the details of the empty tomb. And I think it's interesting that there's a number of repeated words that allow us to see that the tomb and that Jesus Christ would be resurrected from the grave. It's the word see. Look at John 20, verse 1. Now it says, That first day of the week Mary came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away. Look down at verse 5. Stooping to look in, speaking of John here, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then if you will, look at verse 6. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there. If you will, look down at verse 8. Then the other disciple, that's John, who refers to himself as the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw and believed and this goes on verse 12 but when she saw mrs mary two angels in white sitting where the body of jesus had been laying one at the head and one at the feet verse 14 having said this she turned around did mary and saw jesus standing there Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Look at verse 20. You could see it's everywhere. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Look at verse 25. And so the other disciple told him, we have seen the Lord. Verse 29, have you, looked, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. So this whole chapter is a testimony of what others saw. Now, the sight then of the empty tomb, I'm going to put it in this way to you, is demonstrated in two specific eyewitness accounts, okay? Okay. There's going to be three witnesses, but I'm going to just put them in two specific eyewitness accounts. One of those accounts is from Mary Magdalene, who saw the empty tomb. And then the second account, I'll put them together, is Peter and John. And I want to make sure if you've been in Christ for any amount of years, here's my prayer. I don't want you to lose the wonder of this. I just don't want in our hearts as a church that we would lose the awe of this. And I pray that as we exposit from the scripture, we'll see why. But let's dive into the first of two eyewitness accounts. First, the empty tomb is witnessed by Mary Magdalene. The empty tomb is witnessed by Mary Magdalene. And uh, I'll walk this through, I'll highlight bringing some of the other Gospels in, but I want to stay with John's record. It's kind of interesting, some of the stuff that John leaves out. Now look at the text in 21. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Let's stop there just for a second. You can see the setting of where we are in this text. Every word, of course, inspired. John is real clear to tell us it's the first day of the week. We know that he was on that cross for, uh, he died on Friday. He would be three days, if you will, dead. And so obviously, this is Sunday morning. He said all along that he would rise on the third day, Friday, Saturday. This is Sunday. I do think it's interesting, look down in your Bible, that he says, now on the first day, of the the week. I think it's interesting that he didn't say that he arose on the third day which he did, but I think this is interesting here that this is the first Sunday and from then on that believers begin to set aside the first day of the week. So even here we're gathered and I hope everybody's gathered and I hope you stay gathered because that is what the scriptures tell us, is that believers gathered on the first day of the week. So I even want you to know that even your presence here. And on a weekly basis is what the scriptures tell us. In fact, the believers in Acts 20, verse 17 met on the first day of the week. The believers in 1 Corinthians 16, 2 met on the first day of the week. It says in the book of Revelation 1:10 that it was called the Lord's Day. You're here on the Lord's day. You're partaking communion. You say, why do we meet Sunday instead of Saturday? Because of this and because of the New Testament. They gathered together the first day of the week. Now, note again, look again at the text. It's the first day of the week, and it says that Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. Mary, of course, as I've reminded you, I'll say more on this next week, is the woman who, according to Luke 8-2, had seven demons cast out of her. Listen, I'll say more about her next week. You don't want to miss, but she just loved the Savior. She just who was redeemed from bondage, not one demon, not two demons, not three demons, seven demons possessed this woman. And according to Luke's gospel, Jesus exercised those demons out of her. And from that moment, from that time, she who was forgiven much, loved much. She began to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Followed him, we know from the other gospels, at least in chapter 14, that she was the one who anointed the feet of our Lord to prepare him for burial. Now, you'll note that it says in 21, look again, she came to the tomb early, it says, actually while it was dark or before it was dark. Now, I think it's interesting that John just focuses on Mary Magdalene. Now, we know from the other gospels that there were other women there. And you say, well, what is it? Well, Mary Magdalene was there. She's at the tomb early. We also know that other women came. John puts the spotlight on her. In fact, if you will, glance down at your Bible. Look what she did. After she went into the tomb, she ran and went, and, you know, went to Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And watch this. Next phrase, you can underline it. And we do not know where they have laid them, we. She's not alone. There's other women there according to uh, the other gospels. Mark 16.1 adds and says that it was Mary Magdalene, it was Mary the mother of James, it was Salome that was there. So there were others as well. She's not alone, Matthew 27. In fact, uh, Matthew 28 tells us that Mary Magdalene and another Mary, both Marys, are headed to the tomb. Now, either Mary Magdalene got there first, and others joined her, or John just focuses his gospel on Mary Magdalene in this account, and certainly he has freedom to do that. Now, you'll note in 21, she comes to the tomb early, and there's one view of, I don't know if you've heard this, it's kind of funny. All this stuff is just the, the, the liberals. They said, she went to the wrong tomb. Well, she obviously didn't go to the wrong tomb. You say, why? Well, Mary was there, according to Mark 14, fifteen forty seven, when they laid Jesus in the tomb on Friday. She was there. In other words, I'm bringing you a report this morning from the Word of God by the Holy Spirit. She was at the cross, she was at his death, she, was, she saw him breathe his last, and she was there according to Mark 15, 47, where they laid him in the tomb. Now, it's interesting. Other gospels say that women in Mark 16, 2 says that they came early the before or after the sun had risen. Matthew says it began to dawn. Luke says it was early dawn. Okay, do you just, I think the thing you want to lock in here is this. <laughs> There's no disciples there. And th- in fact, this isn't even in my notes. I think it's fascinating Women are there. John, the apostle, we know was at the cross. Behold your mother, and mother, behold your son. But at least at this point, the third day, there's no other man listed. And as I'll tell you next week, the first person that he physically appeared to was Mary Magdalene. And I just think she was so enthralled with the Lord Jesus Christ she just wanted to be both at his crucifixion. She's at his burial. She's now on the third day at his resurrection. You say, Pastor, why did, why did they come back? They came back to see if he was gone. Oh, no. Mark 16:1. She leaves before the sun comes up because they, plural, brought, brought spices to anoint him. These ladies came out of sheer devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they bring more spices to anoint the dead to offset, probably in their mind, the decomposing body, the stench of that. They were not anticipating his resurrection. Remember when Jesus, you of course remember when he raised Lazarus, he went into the tomb, and they told him not to enter the tomb by this is the fourth day. By now he what? Stinketh in the King James. Because about the fourth day, something would happen to the body in its d. De- Composition. And so I just think these women, they're not looking for a resurrection. They just love their Savior. The disciples momentarily all fled. But these women are at the foot of the cross. These women watch them put into the tomb. And these women, if you will, are back on the third day to to give them this anointing of spices. They're not anticipating it. I don't know. Maybe there's more in Precious Mary. We can ask her in heaven. Maybe she was thinking to herself, hey, I, I know that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea put him in the tomb and wrapped them in 75 pounds of spices, you know, according to John 19.39, but maybe she's thinking they didn't do it right. I don't know. Maybe, maybe she's just thinking, I love my Lord. I'm just going to just spice them up again. Uh, so stay Come to anoint, she does, the one they loved. Someone has said that love often prompts people to do from a practical point of view is useless. I think she just wanted to be there. Listen, I, I'm holding her up as a, as a, as a testimony. I'm holding her up that the precious Lord Jesus Christ appeared first to her, and we'll see that next week. In fact, you really want to be honest? Is that one of the proofs of the resurrection is that he told and appeared to these women first, because if you're putting your argument together, they wouldn't even allow a woman's word to be taken in court. And so I think it's one of the proofs of the resurrection that if they're really kind of in a closed door, a back door to say, hey, let's fabricate this thing, they would never come up with a group of women who were there first and whom he appeared to first. So listen, as she's approaching the tomb, look at the text in 21. They came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw, the text says, that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. The stone had already been rolled away. Now, as she's walking to the tomb... She's so lost, if you will, in grief that she wasn't really thinking about this. I think she just lost presence of mind regarding the stone, maybe even the Roman guard that was set. And here John's gospel isn't interested in telling us how the stone removed. She's coming upon the tomb. She had been there on Friday, and she sees that that stone, massive stone, had already been rolled away. Matthew states in his gospel in twenty-eight too, that a severe earthquake took place and that an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled away the stone. And certainly we understand that was not to let Jesus out; it was actually to let the witnesses in to the empty tomb. So the stones rolled away. You say, what does Mary do? Look at verse two. So she ran. And she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Can you just picture that? She's there at the tomb. She doesn't go into the tomb. She sees that the the stone has been rolled away. And she starts running. There's going to be a lot of people running in this chapter. And I think it's interesting that even after the resurrection, She goes to tell Peter, because Peter, as always, is the leader. And she goes to tell the one whom Jesus loved, the other disciple, that's John. And she said to them, look at the account in verse 2, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Oh, listen, her heart, beloved, is in utter despair. Maybe just with an impassioned cry. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we, again, the ladies, do not know where they have laid him. I think Mary obviously still thinks he is dead. We don't know where they put him. We don't know where they laid him. They took him somewhere. Those enemies. Now, that's what she thinks. And I don't think it's far-fetched as you read into the culture, grave robbers, we get that term from this era, would take artifacts left in tombs. They would come in and they would steal what is there. In fact, the robbing of graves was so common that the Emperor Claudius in AD 41 through 54 ordered actually capital punishment on those who were convicted of destroying tombs, removing bodies, and breaking the seal of that tomb. So Mary comes and she's there on that first Easter morning and thinks that somebody has vandalized the grave. They have stolen the body away. She, however, is wrong. But I want you to understand this as we move from point one to point two. She's an eyewitness to the empty tomb. She gets there, and the Lord Jesus Christ isn't there, and the stone is rolled away. But there's more. So let me take you secondly to the empty tomb witnessed by Peter and John. This is interesting. So she says at the end of two, we don't know where they laid him. So Peter went out, with the other disciple, again, common to think that's John. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. I think this is funny. But the other disciple outran Peter, that's John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And it says there, stooping in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Now, obviously, the other disciple, John, you can see it, is faster than Peter. And there's various views as to why was John faster than Peter. We don't know if he, they were just looking back when they wrote this epistle, and he was saying, yeah, I remember that day. We, and, and the other texts kind of give the idea that they started out kind of walking, and then, as it says here, they ended up in a sprint. And it's very clear that John got there. Before Peter. Now, the common thought that we, we don't exactly know is that John was either faster, number one, as a runner, or number two, he was actually younger than Peter. And that's what most people think. They're running, they're sprinting, they know where the tomb is, they've been told where the tomb is, probably by those women, and they get to the tomb, and John gets to it, but you'll note that he stoops in. And you say, what do you mean he stoops in? It's very common if you've been to Israel. They would cut these massive stones out of a, a rock on the side of a mountain. And you would, if you go into them, you had to kind of crawl into them that way. And then once you get in, you can stand up. But John himself, though he got there faster, doesn't go in. But he sees the linen cloths that were there. And listen, beloved, just the fact that he saw the linen cloths lying there is clear evidence that Jesus' body was not taken by grave robbers or even by his disciples attempting to steal the body, which was said in Matthew 27, or even by his enemies who would not have taken time to remove these cloths and leave the linens. So John doesn't go in, but Peter, you know he's a little different. Look at verse 6. Peter came, following him. And isn't it typical of him? He went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. And then he adds this. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. In other words, he looks in, John first looked in, he saw the linen cloths, and they're just lined there. They're not disturbed. Here, Peter comes in, he sees the same, but he also sees the face cloth probably used to keep Jesus' jaw in place, and it was folded up in a place by itself, separate from the linen. I think this is interesting because in John 19, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, primarily Nicodemus, wrapped him in 75 pounds of spices. They would take a linen strip and a cloth, wrap it around his body pack in that linen, the the, the Jewish people didn't believe in embalming, they would pack in the linen spices. And here, the Bible says, there were up to 75 pounds of linen. And they would wrap each of those linens around his, his legs, around his arms, around his torso, packing in the fragrance of the spices to keep the stench, if you will, from coming on too quickly. But here, these two men look in and they're lying there. And I really believe that John, writing under the Spirit of God, is giving us a contrast. You remember in John chapter 11, Lazarus came out from the grave with all of his grave clothes on. And he had to be unwrapped, almost like mummy like. Jesus comes out of the grave here, resurrected in a glorified form, and I believe he just passed through the grave clothes. He just went through them. In other words, this grave has not been robbed. They're lined there. They're folded. In addition, if somebody wanted to rob the grave, I could hardly think like a roll of carpet. They're going to drop them out of it, spin them out of it, take a three-day-old body that was in the process of decomposition and touch that human flesh with their hands. Oh, no, if, if, if there was a robbery, they would have moved that stone, which, by the way, where were the soldiers? I'll tell you in a minute. And they would have just put that body over their shoulders and carried them out. But that's not what we have here. I think in the same way that Jesus would pass through rooms after his resurrection, he just passed through these grave clothes. He just passed through this face cloth. And there they were, lying in one place and the face cloth in another. In fact, you say, well, what do you mean he moved through walls? Look at John 20 in verse 19. When he appeared to the disciples on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Here's the point. Jesus came in and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Man, that had to be a bizarre day, did it not? They're locked. They're huddled together. The doors bolted. And he, John 20, 19, just appeared among them. And he didn't go, why didn't you guys believe in me? He just said, peace be with you. In fact, glance down in chapter 20 in verse 26. Eight days later, another appearance. The disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although, here it is again, the doors were locked and Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Listen, he just went through those linen cloths as he would go through these doors. They would have left linens all over even if they did unwrap him. They'd have to roll him out of it, but the linen wrappings were lying there where the body and the head had been. He went straight through them. This is the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, there is an empty tomb. They have never produced the body. You have an eyewitness account of Mary who was there that morning who saw the stone rolled away. She runs back. She tells Peter and John, they run. One gets ahead, but they both, if you will, go in, and they find this before them. You know, I think it's interesting. I think it's on the screen, or maybe I took it off. In Matthew twenty-eight, eleven, the guard went into the city. Obviously, they were put to deep sleep, and then the stone was rolled away, and they went into the city, and they told the chief priest all that had taken place when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel. They gave a sufficient, Bible says this, sum of money, is it up there? Yeah, sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night, stole him away while, he, while we were asleep, which... How do you know what happened if they were asleep? But it's another story. And it, and it comes to the governor ears. We will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. They lied. They paid those guys off. They got false witnesses. They, they knew that didn't happen. And it states in the scripture that they lied. How could anybody who was sleeping known what took place? Some say they went to the wrong tomb, but that's wrong because the women were at the tomb on Friday. In addition, the angel in another gospel says, come and see the place where the Lord lay. And no one believes that the scholars know the place of the burial of our Lord better than the angels who were, at, who were there at that time. In fact, other people say, you know, that he didn't really die. He just swooned, and then the coolness of the grave resuscitated him that has never been a satisfactory satisfactory explanation of the resurrection or the the false view that the 500 men who had seen him had hallucinations that's a false reach that's really false then you'd also have to look positively at the witness Of the New Testament, I mean, who would have bothered in apostolic doctrine to write a New Testament which it is said that our Lord said that he would rise from the dead and the apostles who said that he would rise from the dead when in fact he really didn't rise from the dead. Beloved, listen, it's amazing how much faith unbelievers have to unpack their false truth. And I would even say to you today, there's churches filled who will celebrate Easter, but they don't celebrate the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, beloved, I just want you to know this. By these eyewitness accounts, the tomb is empty. Mary was there. The stone was rolled away. There was no one there. She runs and gets these two disciples who would become apostles. They come in and they see these linens and they're not thrown all over the place. In fact, they're wrapped if you will but look at the text in verse 8 after they saw them then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first it says that he went in and he saw and he here's the scripture he believed John after Peter had rushed in John finally went in and when he saw it says there in verse 8 that he believed. Now you're, you're left with the fact that maybe his faith is growing. I think these men were believers at this time as we've taught through John. But their understanding wasn't fully there. And you see this and you'd be tempted to just make a whole statement that that's the point of the text that he saw and believed. But that's not what verse 9 says. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, as of yet... They did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They just didn't quite grasp it. I mean, nobody went to the tomb early that morning thinking, hey, Jesus said this on the third day that he would rise. And even here, as John moves into the tomb, after Peter went into the tomb, he saw it. He believed, in other words, there was something beginning to click in his mind that he's not stolen, he has been raised from the dead. Now you ask, how did they not know? I mean, you and I understand the totality of the scripture that you're holding. They didn't have the New Testament at this point. They certainly had the Old Testament, but let me show you how they may have missed it at the beginning. Look over at John chapter 2. Will, will you? Do you remember when we touched on this? You said, "How did they how did they miss this? How did they not know?" Well, in John 2, do you remember early on in his ministry, he was cleansing the temple. And look and set your eyes at John 2:18. So the Jews said to him, "What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in 3 days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has been it has taken us 46 years to build this temple and you'll raise it up in 3 days. But he was speaking about here the temple of his body. Now watch this. And when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the Scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. It was when he was raised from the dead. They haven't seen him yet. So as John gets into that tomb, he sees and he, he believes his faith is being fostered, if you will, to a greater length. But as of yet, verse 9, they didn't understand the Scripture And here's why. It says that once he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this. If you look on the screen in Matthew 28, all over John, he kept making statements like this. In Matthew 20, 18, we are going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day but they just didn't grasp it all of a sudden. I don't think, frankly, we do either. Do you remember when Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, who do you say that I am? And he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And as soon as that statement was made, the Bible says in Matthew 16 that from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, that he must suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day, rise again. He prophetically told them exactly what would happen. And Peter, remember took him aside, began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from, from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned did the Lord Jesus to Peter and said, get behind me, what? Satan, you are a hindrance to me. These men couldn't fathom it. You say, why couldn't they fathom it? They couldn't fathom it because in their mind, though not out of the Old Testament scripture, they wanted a conquering messiah. They wanted a conquering king. They wanted somebody to overthrow Rome. They wanted somebody to set the kingdom up. And as he began to tell them about his death and tell them about his flogging and tell them that he's gonna be delivered over to the Gentiles, Peter just said, this shall never happen to you. And so there's these statements in the scripture the disciples couldn't quite understand. Look in your Bible. Just go back one book in Luke 9. Luke 9. This is an amazing text because it just is, it's an amazing text of what's recorded there and what is said there in 945. He said in 944 of Luke, let these words sink into your ears. Here's what Jesus said. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Now watch this, underline this one. But they did not understand this saying. And look at this. It was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Oh, beloved, I think sometimes we could say these men should have known. How did they not know? How could John 29 say, as of yet, they did not understand the scriptures? Part of it was their ignorance of what the Messiah would do. He would die for you. That's why we celebrate communion. But part of it is that God Almighty sovereignly concealed that from them. Do you remember Peter was so anxious about the kingdom that when they came to arrest Jesus in the garden in John 18 he pulled out a dagger and he cut off Malchus's ear. These guys were fierce and they wanted the kingdom to be set up but he needed here to die. Do you remember when he appeared to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24? He did chide them there, oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things, enter into his glory? And then the Bible says, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scripture the things concerning himself. Listen, beloved, John's writing this so that you may believe. John's writing this to verify the truth of the resurrection. John's giving you one of those proofs even this morning in an empty tomb. Jesus Christ had to suffer, it says there, before he entered into his glory and he began to interpret all the scriptures to him. And then right there in Luke 24, he suddenly appeared to them. He revealed himself. They didn't know who he was. And then in Luke 24, after he vanished, it said, Did not our hearts burn within us while, we, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Listen, beloved. Those people from the Jesus seminar are enemies of the gospel. This is the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, later in Luke 24, in verse 44, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then this phrase, then he opened their minds, post-resurrection, right? To understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So they needed a sovereign work of God. But as of yet, verse 9, they couldn't grasp it. Certainly from our study of John chapter 14, they needed the role of the Holy Spirit. They needed to go to the cross to die, third day, be raised, if you will. And they needed at the coming of Pentecost to understand the Scripture. But here's, beloved, two eyewitness accounts, Mary Mary. Peter and John that verify the truth of at least the empty tomb that of course goes with Jewish law, Deuteronomy 17, Deuteronomy chapter 19, that there had to be two witnesses. Here's three on that first early morning. Body, they've never produced the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. All they had to do to end the argument is go produce the body. They've never produced the body, ever, See, you say, well, why? Because the tomb is empty. Beloved, here's the point of John's gospel the women testify to the empty tomb, the soldiers testify, even through a lie, to the empty tomb. Peter and John testify to the empty tomb. The grave clothes testify to the empty tomb. The religious leaders testify to the empty tomb. They made up a lie. You say, well, what happens in the text? Look back at it in John 20, verse 10. They don't know what to do. It says, for as yet in verse 9, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples, it says, went back to their homes you say well what happened after that well you got to come back next week okay we'll look at the wonderful physical literal bodily appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ to Mary Magdalene and he will reveal himself to her first and it's quite a testimony